We begin our topical studies in the book of 1 Samuel tonight. And on Tuesday, we read chapters 1 and 2, verse by verse. And the first seven chapters of 1 Samuel deal with the introduction to us of the life of the prophet Samuel. Then, like chapters 8 through 15, we get the transition to King Saul, the first king of Israel, and Samuel did anoint him in that capacity. And then eventually the book tends to shift over toward King David and the preparation of King David to be the second king, the great King David. So the book really, the book of 1 Samuel, it it focuses on Samuel, then Saul, and then the early years of David when he's being persecuted by Saul and pursued by his father-in-law. Its timeline is about 1100 B.C. to about 1000 B.C. It's about a 100-year timeline, this book, actually 96 years to be specific, and this is a timeline that it encompasses. Samuel is the last of the judges, so of course we spent time in the book of Judges, we spent time in the book of Ruth, which was on the back end of the book of Judges, and so for 400 years Israel has been governed by the Lord through various judges, and the shift is on now, and Samuel is transitory because he's the prophet that's the last judge who prepares us for the beginning of the kings and now Israel is going to become a monarchy with kings for the next five six hundred years and that's the change in Jewish history as they're there in the promised land so that's our background to the book and tonight we're going to be looking at Samuel's mother Hannah and the background to when and how he came into the world the circumstances much like we saw with Samson in his childhood and before he was born with the parents of Samson as well. So that's our background tonight. And so we're going to read the first uh, 20 verses of 1 Samuel because it focuses on Hannah. It gives us the background to her life, what was going on in her life, the circumstances in her world, and how God used those circumstances to bring her to a place of brokenness, to a place of surrender, to a place of rejoicing and praising the Lord. Now there was a certain man of Ramathim, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peniah. Peniah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice the Lord of hosts in Shiloh, because again, Jerusalem wasn't the central place of worship yet. Shiloh was where the tabernacle was. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, they were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he'd give portions to Paniah, his wife, and to offer sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he'd give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she, Peniah, provoked her, that is Hannah. Therefore Hannah wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? And am I not better to you than ten sons? Those are four big questions. Verse 9. So Hannah arose after that and had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, 
if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head, implying that he would be a Nazarite of the Nazarite vow. Verse 12. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk, so Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked, a wicked woman, daughter of Belial, if you will, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you've asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their home, their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, intimately, and the Lord remembered her, so she, it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I've asked for him from the Lord. The name Samuel means heard by God. And that is a theme with Hannah dedicating him to the Lord before he was ever conceived because her prayer for a child was heard by God. We know there in chapter 2, she prayed an incredible prayer of depth and insight from the Lord. We also, in the latter part of chapter 1, after the son was born, he was eventually dedicated to the Lord, just like she said he would be there in Shiloh. Then her prayer in chapter 2, and then we even get follow-up texts later on in chapter 2 about how he grew before the Lord, serving the Lord there in the tabernacle in Shiloh with Eli, the high, the, the high priest, but also how Hannah was blessed with many other children after her son Samuel. And that's the full scope of the story. As we look at this story, the name of Samuel should definitely get our attention because, again, it means heard by God. And it's important for all of us to remember this night that God does hear our prayers. God is listening. God is watching. He knows everything. And he, he's watching the details of our life. He has plans for the details of our life. He hears the cry of people who hate him and cry out to him in a dark day. But as we understand, when we give our life to Christ and we become born of the Spirit, born anew, we're new creations, we're in his family. As Romans 8 says, we become adopted into his family. We call him Abba Father, and he's our father, and we have this personal relationship with him. We know that Jesus is our great high priest, and we can come to the Father's throne anytime with prayers and cast our cares and burdens upon him. So we know that the Lord hears us. Now, when we pray to the Lord, we know there's three things that can happen. You get a yes, a no, or a wait. A yes, no, or wait. Our prayers are always going to get yes, no, or wait. And we also know as we grow in the Lord that as we're abiding in his word, we'll begin to pray more like consistent with his character and his word. That's why the Bible says in Psalm 37, to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Because as we delight ourselves in the Lord and we're being shaped and molded by his word and his will revealed in his word, his character revealed in his word, his promises revealed in his word, then our prayers become less self-centered, if you will, and more Christ-centered. And we begin to be led by the Spirit 
that our prayers are consistent with what he's put in on our heart. God will give us vision. He will give us burdens, and he will direct our steps because a man or a woman can plan their ways, but the Lord does, in fact, direct our steps. His word is a lamp unto our feet, and Jesus said the Spirit would guide us in all truths, and he would lead us in the ways that he has for us. So when we, said that we're, when we say that we are spirit-led people, we're making time to be at the Lord. Like John 15, we abide in Christ, and his word abides in us, and then what? We will ask what we will, and it'll be granted to us. But the key is, like 1 John says, if we ask according to his will, we know we have the petition we've asked. Also, James warns about asking for things that are carnal and selfish, and we should not expect to get anything from that because they're, they're not consistent with God's heart, his will, his purposes, or his character. So Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane is such a beautiful example when he's facing the cross and he says, if there's any other way but not my will, your will be done. So when we come to God's will, we realize that there's clearly things about God's will revealed in his word about who he is, his universe, his character, his plans through the Son, the coming kingdom, and glory forever. But there's things that are personal about our life or his will that we don't know. I mean, obviously, the character and the consecration of growing in our faith in Jesus, we know God wants to do that good work in us and make us more like Christ. We understand that universally for every believer in Christ on planet Earth this day and the generations that came before us and the ones that will come after us. But so often, we don't really know what is that unique will of God's life for us. We're praying, like, what college to go to? Should I ask this person to marry me? Should I marry this person? And, you know, like, uh, just take this job, walk away from this job, put up with this at this job, or just say, no, I'm just going to, life's too short, I'm moving on. You know, there's another plan. And, and so there's a process, and we, I've said for decades now, it's much easier for God to direct a moving car than a parked car. So if you're at least willing to be on the move and take steps of faith, like Acts chapter 16 with Paul, they go to Bithynia, the Lord forbid them. They go to Asia Minor, the Lord forbids them, and then they have a dream about a woman in Europe, and so they go to Europe on a ship and he has a dream about a man, and then they go to Europe and find a woman by the river, and they're praying, and the rest is church history. The moving car. So as we come to the story here of Hannah in her prayers, that the Lord hears, it does imply that he's heard her prayers. In fact, we didn't read it tonight, but later on in the chapter, when she bring, comes back with Samuel, she says, the Lord has heard my petition. So clearly the, to- the content and topic here is prayers that were lifted up, specific prayer for a son, and prayer that was answered. And she made a vow, she followed through on that vow, and then the rest is biblical and Jewish history. We get that context. So again, heard by God. But in this context of her prayer being heard, is very personal. Everything is very personal with her in this text we just read. It's not robotic. She poured out her soul. She made a vow to the Lord. She worshiped the Lord. The Lord remember her. There's, it's very personal. And the Lord closed her womb. And in case you thought, like, really? The Lord closed her womb? We're told it twice. It's very personal. And it's deep. Because she prayed in her heart with her lips moving. And she poured out her soul. This is not religion. This is the rawness and reality of the human experience with people who live by faith and trust in the living God in the Old Testament, as a shadow of things to come, which we live out in our lives this day in the name of Jesus Christ under the new covenant on planet Earth 2022 as the church of Jesus Christ. 
We're emotional. We've talked about this coming through the book of Ruth. We're designed with emotion. We have all kinds of emotion. And we have all kinds of things that we go through in the human experience. Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time to be born and a time to die. And then describes all these various emotions, what life is like. And, of course, that famous song in the 60s, to everything turn, turn. And, it, and it's truly just the text from Ecclesiastes, that famous song. There's a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to gather, there's a time to scatter. And, and we live this human experience, and then we're gone. And if you miss it, you miss it. If you choose to live by faith and you live life, you embrace it, you run with it, you live and you live, and you go to glory. Or you can roll over and die in fear and never live and haven't done nothing. You can believe God for great things, or you can just never do anything. You get one life, you can throw it away. And how many people commit suicide every day on planet Earth? Tens of thousands. People just throw life away. You only get one. And what I love about this story of Hannah, it's so raw and it's so real. And again, like the book of Ruth, it's so human. And I think we all realize how human we are in the early part of 2022. Everything's just so real and open for all of us. What we've been through, what we're going through, the uncertainty of our future. So I think it's very timely to just look at Hannah tonight and that she was heard by God. God hears our prayers and God knows what's going on in our life. He has a plan in our lives and all things are working together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Individually. So now I really want the focus to be individual, to be heard by God. Because sometimes we think God's really against us or God doesn't hear us. Or we only want to call on God when we think he's the blessing God. But in this text... We go from total brokenness and bitterness, almost like Ruth, but under different circumstances, to blessing God, worshiping God, and unlike we don't get this with Ruth, we get Hannah praying and rejoicing in the Lord. And so there's a journey she went on in being heard by God that can speak to all of us tonight. The first thing is that her circumstances, which were grievous, egregious, and prolonged in her life that she couldn't shake, that affected every day of her life, essentially, for, a, for years and years, we're told in the text, was she couldn't have children. Now, in her society, in an agro-society, and in the Jewish society, having children was a sign of blessings. That God was blessing you, or if you worship the gods, the various gods, that Ashtoreth was the fertility god, so they'd worship Ashtoreth, they'd be fertile. Like, that's the idea, that to be fertile. And so when a woman did not have children in that culture, in that society, somehow people perceived it as God was against you. And we saw this with Sarah, with Rebecca, and, and, and Rachel. We see that with the, the, the matriarch women back in the book of Genesis. And of course, we also know that Samson's mom had been restrained from having children, and then God gave her Samson and said exactly how it was to be. So we, we get that. We're told that God allowed these circumstances in her life that were a source of great heartache. And this is the reality with the Lord. Every one of us, before we step into eternity, we have to face our trials, our tribulations, our testings, and our tragedies with the Lord. 
Every one of us essentially is stripped down naked before God when we face in the human experience heartbreak and crushing disappointment in the human experience. And the longer you live, the more likely you're going to get crushed. So whether it's Jeremy Camp and his wife is dying, who he married four months before, and he turns to me and he says, I know Jesus wants his bride, but I want my bride too. You will get crushed. And you're going to have to determine if you're going to roll over and quit living for the Lord because you got crushed when he took your bride after four months, or you're going to write five best-selling songs that will change church history for the next 20 years. You have to decide what you're going to do when God closes your womb. Twice we're told he closed our womb. You have to decide, we all must decide what we're going to do when our dream and our one thing that we want to live for doesn't come to pass. And, and how we're going to shape that, how we're going to mold that, how we're going to frame that with our faith in God, that God is good and God is love and God is faithful and the end that the Lord intends. When Job lost everything, and his wife said, curse God and die. He said it best. Naked I came from the womb, naked I'll return. The Lord is given, the Lord is taken. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we have accepted his blessings, can we not accept his adversity? Job spoke a thousand years before Hannah lived, great wisdom that would be applied to her life, even in this situation. Because we are guaranteed adversity, and we are guaranteed disappointment and heartache in the human experience. We're not, there's no way, there's just no way to live 80 years on planet Earth and not have human beings crush your spirit and feel like somehow God let you down or the acts of humans are attributed to God or the acts of nature are called an act of God when in fact <laughs> that people deny God yet in insurance policy say it's an act of God. The devil takes that which is good it makes it look bad and takes that which is evil and makes it look good. That's why Jesus called him the father of lies. But God is good and God is light and him is no darkness at all. So whatever testings, trials, tribulations, even tragedies that we go through, God has a bigger plan, an eternal plan. And as a human being with a soul and a heart and a mind and a, a self-determination, each one of us in this room and everyone listening to me at some point in their life has to decide, am I going to trust the living God completely with this situation and with my life from here to eternity? We all have to come to that place. There's a day when the party's over. And most of us know that. It's intrigue to be merry and someone else dies, but then when someone you really love dies, you are rocked. Or that wedding didn't happen. Or that child did die. Or that marriage was terminated after four months. And it's comforting your wife is worshiping the Lord in her last day, but nonetheless, when she said she was healed, she was seeing eternity, not the next 40 years with you, Jeremy Camp. Because the last words from his wife is, I am healed. And she gave up the ghost in his arms. And I was in that room. We all have to work through these things. We're all going to face the grave alone. We might have all, well, since COVID, mostly you're not surrounded by people anymore when you're passing away. That's the irony of how things are so upside down now. When you're sick, you can be encouraged. People that could encourage you and lift your spirits, they can't visit you. They let you visit you when they determine that you're dying. And I've experienced this firsthand. They let you come say your goodbyes, but they don't let you come say it's worth living. I remember telling my father-in-law, Jesus is coming for you. And 
one of these people from this agency will be in this room with you, but they're not going to see him, but you're going to see him. And he's coming right here, and hope Bill is nodding his head yes and smiling. Because, Bill, you're going to face Jesus alone, and he's coming for you. Or as they say so often, prepare to meet your maker. And as we live for the Lord, that's a day of rejoicing. That's a day like Stephen saying, oh, I see the Lord standing at the right hand of the Father right now, and the glory is coming. But the testings, the trials, the tribulations, the tragedy, the unfulfilled dreams, the heartache, all these things, there's a purpose that the Lord allows in all of them. And I'm not afraid to say that the Lord took our first son. I'm not afraid to say that the Lord took Melissa Henning Camp from Jeremy Camp. I'm not afraid to say that. Because the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So here for Hannah, she has to come to that place that we all have to come to where we face our worst fears because Job said, the thing I feared the most has come upon me. And we have to be able to face our worst fears and give it to the Lord. Now here's the thought though, in the Lord closing her womb, we're told twice that it was from the Lord because this is between her and the Lord. When you're a woman, you can't have children, you want to have children, that's, that's between you and the Lord. It really is, ladies, and you already know that. And guys, you might love that girl, but she's not going to say yes. And that's between you and the Lord. And that's just the way it is. That's just the way life works sometimes. So that's really going to show us the measure of a man and the measure of a woman in their faith with the Lord. But what I find interesting in this story is, of course, it says that it went, so it was year by year. Now, I like trials that, I don't like trials at all, but I like them to last about three days, maybe three weeks, but definitely not three months and certainly not three years. Some trials are just going on forever for some people. Some trials just, you just, John Wooden, the famous basketball coach, loved his wife, Nettie. Nellie was his wife. And John Wooden, and everything you ever read about John Wooden, he just loved his wife and had a great marriage. She died about 30 years before he did. And they say John Wooden was never the same. He won national titles with UCLA, all those titles and all that. But when, when he, he's the greatest coach of all time. But when he lost his wife, they say he was just never the same. He had kids and he had grandkids, but he was never the same. Just never the same. And he went on and lived another, he lived his mid-90s. Year by year, we can't be surprised because something is extremely difficult and it drags on for years. We don't want it to, but sometimes it does. And if you don't learn to give it to the Lord, it'll destroy you. It'll crush you. You have to give it to the Lord. In the midst of that, though, what got my attention looking at this first element of this story is while this was from the Lord, listen to me, this was from the Lord, we're told twice. At the same time, it became opportunity for Paniah to provoke her over it. And often what is going against us or our heartache or our unfulfilled dreams, this person's not, not going to marry me or this, I didn't get this job or I didn't get into the school I wanted to and I was so sure I was going to go to the school. And you have this dream and you're going to do this in the military and then you got pregnant and you had the baby so now you're not in the military. It can all change. And then people who are maybe jealous of you or your beauty and all this come up to you like, oh, I thought you were going to do all this and that and you're going to college. Look at you, you're a single mom now. And it becomes a point of provoking and yet the Lord could have a great plan for that child and you don't know and how honorable it is to keep that child in the first place. You see, so often, and they don't know the story about the man that you gave yourself to and they don't know how that came about. 
They just, you know what I'm saying? Like, human beings are cruel and can be extremely cruel to the core because we're wicked to the core on our best day. God says that. And so it's not enough that your womb is closed. you got to have this rival provoking you every single day and reminding you what God has not done in your life for you, but what seems to be God working against you. And you got to work through that. Oh, yeah. How's that, man? I thought for sure you're going to get the raise instead that the boss hired his son. And that guy's an idiot, too. You know what I'm saying? Like, we all live in a world like that. We all see that happen. And you have to decide. I have to decide. We have to decide. How are we going to frame that? And what I also find interesting, apart from her being provoked daily by Paniah, is that how much her husband loved her in the midst of this situation. We're told he loved Hannah and gave her a double portion. You know, in not having a son, one thing she could be sure of, she had a great husband. And ladies, isn't it hard to find a great husband? Seriously. She had a great husband. God gave her a great husband. And her focus on what God wasn't doing and what God was withholding brought her husband to say, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? No matter what he did as a great husband, he could not shift her paradigm focus from what she was not having to what she could be thankful for and what she did have. And that gets my attention. So often we focus on what God's not doing rather than what God is doing. So often we focus our, put our attention and focus on the afflictions and the heartaches and the disappointments rather than the blessings and the goodness and the joy that the Lord has given us. And in this first point here where we see that God closed her womb, God closed her womb and she could either frame it with, my husband loves me and I'm the apple of his eye. Or this other woman, I want to kill her. And she provokes me every single day. How are you going to frame it? You're going to frame it by the beauty and the joy of the journey with your husband or the frustration and the affliction of the journey? We all decide. Because every one of us that knows the Lord Jesus Christ, and even those that don't, we have blessings in our life. And we have afflictions in our life. And if you want to frame it with faith and be positive and optimistic about your future with Jesus Christ and the coming kingdom, good for you and you're a blessed man, you're a blessed woman. If you want to frame it with frustration, disappointment, heartache, blah, 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 until now that's all I spoke of, then you can do that too. And there's plenty of people in Jesus' name who do that, but don't please in Jesus' name do that. Because it's a bad witness. And it just robs you of your joy. Like I said Tuesday night, we want to drink from the well of living water the goodness of the Lord. But if we let Paniah get in our head and outside influences, outside noises against the Lord, against his promises, against his blessings in our life, then it's just, it's bad headspace. And we're surrendering one of the most valuable things we have, our mind and our hearts to Paniah and just brack water, just giving up our headspace. We need to guard our, our hearts and minds, and we're told to take every thought captive that exalts itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his goodness. Don't let the brack water pollute the good water. And we're not saying that Paniah is not real and a provoking is not real or that God hasn't closed your womb isn't real. Both are real. But it's good to be reminded that you have a great husband that gives you a double portion and is better to you than 10 sons. You see, it really is how we frame it. And God's designed us that if we frame it with faith 
and optimism and confidence in Jesus Christ for who he is, what he's done, and what he's going to do, we'll come through this. And he will hear us. Now, the second thing we see here is she poured out her soul. So the, the heartache was from the Lord. And we need to see the good in that heartache. But then she poured out her soul to the Lord. Verse 10, she says that she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. So in bitterness of soul, she wept in anguish and she also made a vow. So in pouring out her soul to the Lord, she made her vow to the Lord. She said, I will give you, I will give him to the Lord, this son, to be a Nazarite. Not only am I going to give you my son, he's going to be consecrated to you with everything he has. We're told in verse 12 that Hannah spoke in her heart. When she spoke to Eli, she said, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. But she poured it out. And she also said in verse 16, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken until now. So she poured it out. She poured out her soul to the Lord. I think of Jacob, the story of Jacob when he wrestled with God. That night, Jacob had so many great plans. That Jacob was amazing in the book of Genesis. And he was blessed by God. He was smart with wealth. He multiplied wealth. He had smart plans. And that night that he, he had just escaped Laban, who was going to kill him, and God protected him from Laban, his father-in-law. And now he's going to the promised land with the four women, his two wives and two concubines and the, and the children, the 11 children. And as he's approaching his brother Esau, who had plotted to kill him a couple of decades before, Esau's coming with 400 men. And Jacob has this brilliant plan. He diversifies his assets in 25%. That's what he did. He diversified his assets. He took the two concubines and, and that's my assets and put them in the front that he valued the least. And then he put Leah and then he put Rachel. He kept the most valuable closer to his chest, if you will, and put what he is, had the least value. You find out what a man does when he's fearing his death and the loss of his wealth. What, 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 what the woman or man has made of them in that situation. So he diversified all of his wealth. He split it up. And then he's all by himself. He had a plan. He pushed the button. It's all going in motion. Buy, sell, trade. Here we go. And then he's by himself by the side of the river. And here comes the Lord to wrestle with him all night. And he wrestled with God all night. Jacob wrestled with God. And heel grabber, the guy that had the plan, buy, sell, trade, has no plan left. And when the Lord's going to depart from him, he, he won't let go of the Lord. And the Lord says, let go of me. And, and Jacob says, not till you bless me. And at that moment, God gave him a new name. He gave him, the, he gave him the name of Israel, which means Prince of God. When he is stripped of everything, and it was him and the Lord, if you will, naked on the side of a river, they wrestled all night, and he became a broken man. And he was poured out, and God gave him a new name. He went from heel grabber, the man with a plan, to prince of God, the man who's blessed by the sovereignty and the choices of God. Which God already promised to bless him because he was the descendant of Abraham and Isaac. And God had blessed him. But he needed to know that his calling was way higher than a bunch of camels, cows, sheep, and goats. And the fear of death. He needed to know that his life was in the hands of the living God. And it's Dios y mano, God and man. 
We all need to come to that place. And Jacob came to that place that night. And when it was dawn, God gave him a new name. When we come through the frustrations of a closed womb for years and years, and we come through trials and testings and tribulations, like Job said, when I've been tried by fire, I will come forth as what? Pure gold. That's what Job said in the midst of his trial. I'm going to come through this fire and be purified like gold. The afflictions and the heartache, they they need to break us. If we're Job and we're scratching ourselves with pottery because the boils of our skin and a physical affliction and physical pain, emotional pain, whatever it could be, and we wrestle with the great concepts of our existence. Does God care? And why do the righteous suffer? And all those things that you see in the book of Job with his friends philosophizing and all that they went through. In the end, God says, I'm God. You're not. Trust me. And Job does. And in the end, he had more than he ever started with. He lost everything. And then he ended up with more than he ever started with. And we're told in the New Testament, we see the end intended by the Lord, that it was good. The perseverance of Job. So we need to persevere through the afflictions, through the trials, through the heartache, through the disappointments, through the closed womb. We need to, the the dream that didn't happen, we need to persevere. And we need to pour our soul to the Lord like Job scratching himself with pottery. Like Jacob wrestling all night with the Lord. And I even think of Esther when she said, went before the king, she goes, if I live, I live. If I die, I die. Like, we need to come to that place. Like, it's just all the Lord. You got to pour out your soul to the Lord. And come hell or high water, we're standing with Jesus. And like Paul, the Spirit keeps telling me nothing but chains await me in Jerusalem, but these things do not move me, nor do I count my life dear to me, that I can complete the race and finish the ministry he's entrusted to me. We've got to come to that place. By the way, that was Jeremy Camp's verse when he's going through losing his wife. That verse from Acts chapter 20. And Paul was addressing the Ephesian elders. Nor do I count my life dear to me. But I do count my life dear to me. Don't you count your life dear to you? I like my life. I like comfort. I like luxury. I like no traffic. I like no lines. Hey, my favorite is like, go to the bank, there's no line. Oh, hey, what's up? You know, like, I like that. You give me a line anywhere, I start hyperventilating. Listen, We're not meant to be in a comfort zone. We're meant to be in a transformation zone. And these things are meant to transform us. If God closes your womb and tells it to you twice, then let it transform you. And it did. Pour out your heart to the Lord, give it to the Lord, and let him make you a new woman and a new man who not only pours out their heart to the Lord and casts their grief and their sorrows and their heartaches before the Lord, but ultimately makes a sacrifice in their prayer that is heard by the Lord. For Samuel means heard by the Lord. See, she got to the end of herself in this prayer. And when she did, she said, if you give me a son, he is all yours. From start to finish, he is all yours. We did similar with our daughter, Hannah. That's why our daughter is named Hannah after this Hannah. When we lost our first son, I had this great fear because she was Jennifer's full term, and I held my dead son in my arms, I had this great fear that I would never hold a crying baby that was mine. It was powerful. I had to take that thought captive. It's so powerful, the fear 
of only knowing holding a dead son. That's all I knew. And for two years, that's all I knew. Taking down that baby room and never hearing my son cry. And I had this fear that I would never hear a child of mine cry. And when I read this story in a devotion in Ensenada, staying with our friends who were missionaries at the time, at San Miguel, the Dietz family, and I read this story, I said, God, if you give us a daughter, we're going to call her Hannah, and she's going to be Corbin. And ladies, you've heard Hannah teach. And let me tell you guys, she's got a big league fastball. She's got a game on a whole nother level. And here she is now, the age of 31. And they're doing a youth camp this weekend. And she just is Corbin dedicated to the Lord. But Hannah always belonged to her. And by the way, she was colic. She never stopped crying for a year. <laughs> and, you know, five days, she's like, hey, Lord, this is enough. She would arch her back. <laughs> okay, Lord, yeah. So, Yeah. But we, we gave Hannah to the Lord. We gave her to the Lord. She's like Samuel running around with a little robe on at Shiloh. Always that way. And she was always sent toward the Lord. The salty videos, Cedar Mountain kids that singing the hymns back in the 80s, those Tennessee things would come out. Tiny Tots with praise. She had the McGee and Me backpack. All of our kids were set apart for the Lord and they all, you know, got everything. Hannah got more. And it's always been a little bit more. I can't explain it. She tested us in high school, but she came forth wonderful. Maybe you can relate. There are prayers you just have to say, this fear, this heartache, God, I give it to you. And this travail of soul, I give to you. I vow, however it goes, I give it to you. I completely give this to you. If we live, we live. If we die, we die. Like Meshach, Shachar, and Abednego, we just fully give this to you. And we have to do that because you're not really free in your faith and free in the Lord until you do. We have to do... I believe that it's just impossible to get to 80 and not come to these type of experiences with God. Just you and the Lord. You can have a spouse to become one. You can have kids and grandkids. You can be surrounded by 100 people in glory or in heartache. But in the end, it's still you and the Lord. You'll hear his voice when he comes for you. They may not hear his voice at all. I was in that room, and Melissa Henningkamp said to her husband, I'm healed, when she came out of that coma and got out of her bed, her deathbed. She saw something I didn't get to see in that room. I saw a wall and her getting out of her bed, but she saw the king, and that's how it will be for you and me when we step into eternity. And we want to get that right before we go. Every heartache, every disappointment, every broken dream. we got to pour out our soul to the Lord, and we got to give it to the Lord. Now, after you do that, you come to a great place because we're told in verse 19, well, actually in verse 17, Eli said to her, go in peace. And she did go in peace. She left Shiloh in peace. She went in peace. When you give it to the Lord, you have peace. 
And then we're told in verse 18, her face was no longer sad. Her countenance was no longer the same. When you give it to the Lord completely, he'll change your countenance. He'll change your cadence. He'll change the whole thing. It'll all change. And then the next morning, they arose, and now her husband's with her. Isn't this a beautiful scene? It's not just her, because it's her and her and her. But here it says, they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. What a joy it must have been for Elkanah. After all those years of his wife not being able to fulfill that for her, to, to carry that burden for her, after all those years, what a joy it must have been for Elkanah to see her changed and transformed. No longer the sad countenance, that trial, that affliction, released and let go to the Lord. And her and her husband going to worship the Lord together before they go home. Can you imagine what a joyful morning that was for Elkanah? The man who said, am I not more, better for you than 10 sons? And on that morning, I believe she got up and said, yes, you are. You're a great husband, and I love you. Let's go worship the Lord together. It would have been something like that. It's a they. And by the way, after he's born, and after they come back to the tabernacle at Shiloh, and they give him to the Lord, it says again, and they worship the Lord together. They worshiped the Lord together when she gave it to the Lord in her heart and poured out her soul. And they worshiped the Lord together when she came and fulfilled the vow and dropped off her toddler for the kingdom of God for the rest of his life. She worshiped the Lord before the promise came to pass and she worshiped the Lord when she fulfilled her end. They, both times, her and her husband, her and her husband, the man who loved her more than 10 sons could ever bring her joy. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? They worshiped the Lord. And in Worshiping the Lord in the fullness of time. So, you know, she worshiped the Lord, and it says in verse 20, uh, well, it says in verse 19, the Lord remembered her. It's not like he forgot her, but, you know, the, the, the thought process is like, yeah, it's, it's time. God's always right on time. It says that it came to pass in the process of time. Body of Christ, we're reminded again tonight, there's a process of time by which God does allow things in our heart, in our life, that are trying us and testing us, afflicting us and refining us. And there is a process of time where we are broken before the Lord and we give our fears to the Lord and we cast our cares upon the Lord and we let it go to the Lord and we get our prayers aligned with his will where it's not about my kid's gonna do this, my kid's gonna do that, my kid's gonna do this. like, you know what? He's your kid. Start to finish everything, all of it. He's all yours. And when those things happen, then in the process of time, the wheels of God's will just keep moving forward and they come to pass. And so there's a day when they bring the toddler and year by year they bring the robe and after many years there's many children. And you think when she was older and had all those kids there in the mountains of Ephraim and all those kids and they'd all talk about their big brother being Samuel the prophet that there's like, oh, your big brother Samuel the prophet. Ask my mom about how she never had kids for years and how God answered her prayer when she gave it to the Lord and God opened her womb and look at all of us fighting in the house all day, every day, working in the field with pop in the process of time. God's in eternity working in time and he works things out according to his time. And even as all other things, when Jesus comes back, he'll be right on time in the process of time. God has a plan in the process of time. In her prayer, 
in verse 1 of chapter 2, she said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. And she said, My strength is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. You see, when she poured out her heart, and then she was able to worship the Lord. Her countenance was changed. She made the vow. She, this is after she, you know, she brought this, the child, Samuel, and she said, I, I just, my heart rejoices in the Lord. You see, we can't rejoice in that we, we're going to have a kid. You rejoice in the Lord. We can't rejoice because we're going to get married or get the college we want or the job we want or we live in the state we want. We have the house we want. No, we rejoice because the Lord is our joy. See, she learned that. We have to learn that. She said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. And she said, because I rejoice in your salvation. She doesn't rejoice in the Lord because of all the blessings, and she had many blessings. She rejoices in the Lord because of his salvation, because he is the Lord. And that is the joy of the Lord. That is our strength that the Bible talks about. Jesus said, I came that your joy would be full. And our joy full in the Lord is because of our faith in Jesus Christ and the hope of heaven and our promise of salvation and redemption when we step into eternity through faith in him. But one bonus thought on all this. When, she, when her womb was closed four years, could she have ever known, after she poured out her heart, worshiped the Lord, and God gave her Samuel and many children, could she have ever known that Samuel would be the most amazing man to live in Israel for hundreds of years. Because we're told of Samuel, and we'll see more of it as we go forward, that God was with him, he, he ministered before the Lord, and he grew up in the tabernacle there in Shiloh. But we hear that the, the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and in chapter 3 we'll see that, that Samuel was established by a prof, as a prophet of the Lord. And it said that none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel knew from Dan to Beersheba that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. The famine of God's word for centuries was broken through the life and ministry of Samuel. God hears. God heard her prayer, aligned her heart to his will, gave her the son. She worshiped. She gave back the son. And for the first time, God's people in centuries had a clear revelation of the word of God for the people of God. It was so much more than she thought. And I just want to close with this thought. When we're going through afflictions, trials, tribulations, testings, and even tragedy, we can never forget that God's vision and plan and purposes are so much bigger than we can even think in that moment. It's such a bigger picture. And that's where faith triumphs. Because all things do work together for good to those who are called according to his purposes, and being conformed to the image of Christ. And if we really, truly believe that all things will work together for good, we can trust in that, and we know that, and we, and we can just stand on that, and we need to, and we have to, and eventually, the sooner we do with our soul, the better it is for us for the rest of this brief journey that we call life. So be encouraged by the life of Hannah. May we apply the lessons of the life of Hannah and know that even in the affliction where God withholds our womb, closes our womb, and bring us to a place of great travail and sorrow and brokenness, if that can bring us to the right vow and the right worldview, that'll bring us to the place of worship and blessings beyond measure from salvation and a greater work than we could have ever conceived. It's a, always a bigger picture. So be encouraged, keep the faith, and don't let the water be brackish.